I was like, man, I need this money. This is not like, I'm in debt. Like, I remember I borrowed money from my brother, from dad, from my girlfriend. Like, I was, I was in trouble. I basically had to go to this law firm and then I sent a message to this agency owner and said, hey, I've just approached this law firm. They'll be contacting you in the next few days. And luckily, I got, I got paid after, after that, finally. Hello, and welcome to episode 23 of Webflow the podcast dedicated to uncovering the greatest failures behind the greatest webflowers, because success often comes after learning from many failures. I'm your host, Jack Redley, a failure connoisseur, and today... Actually, today the guest is Jack, and I'm Will, Jack's younger brother. It so happens to be that I'm also the Webflow podcast editor, and so today I'm actually interviewing Jack. So a bit about Jack. Jack studied languages at university, Newcastle, and then went to live in Portugal and worked on a vineyard. Then he moved to Porto and tried to freelance. And after completely failing at that, his words, he decided to move back to Newcastle and actually got a job at Newcastle University working in marketing, freelancing on the side and then has worked for two agencies before coming to freelance again. A slightly different episode today, so we hope you enjoy it. Things will be back to normal next week. But let's get going with episode 23 of Webflail with Jack Redley. Jack, it's a pleasure to have you on Webflail. Thanks, Bill. Great to be on my own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I'm actually really glad that we're doing this episode because so many people have said, Jack, who the hell are you? Like, what do you what do you do? Like, you know, what right do you have to to do a podcast like this? And and I think, you know, I'm asking people to share a lot of vulnerable details about that. And you know, it's it's fair to say, Jack, you know, what what are your failures? Come on, then. So that's why you wanted to do a podcast as, with you as the guest. Yeah, I mean, if I'm banging on about you know, there's power and vulnerability and stuff, and then all I'm doing is just asking other people to show their vulnerabilities. You know, that's not entirely fair. And I have got so many failures to share. And anyone that has subscribed to the newsletter, plug, you know, will have read a few of them, but it's good to talk about them, you know, openly with you, I guess. For sure. I think that it makes sense wrapping up in a podcast what sort of germinated Webflail in the first place and what brought you to these ideas. Because, of course, you found Webflail through having loads of failures of your own and not having the resource that you wanted. So this is effectively a resource which you started on the basis of your own failures, which we're going to get into. Yeah, I mean, so for anyone that's just been listening to the podcast, and it's like, oh, why does this exist? Or like, you know, who is this Jack guy? Webflail kind of started because there's a lot of people on social media talking about, you know, how, how great they are. And they are great. And, you know, Social media is kind of like a highlights reel of everyone's life. Um, and, and that's not to downplay the importance of that. It's great to celebrate wins and to share those things with other people so that they can follow your journey and see how great you're doing, etc. But I think for people that are starting out in freelance space with web design and web development, it is quite intimidating seeing the caliber of work that people are producing and, and the gap between where they are and where you are. And so... The more people I spoke to who were producing incredible work, you know, the more I talked to them about how they'd got to that place. And it turned out that they'd made a ton of mistakes along the way. And, you know, it was kind of like 10 years of trying, failing, trying, failing, trying, failing to to eventually get to a place where they are, 
you know, really successful freelancers and agency owners in their own right. So I guess that's a long way of saying that that's why Webflow started. Okay, so let's let's just roll back. So what was the path which began your interest in freelancing and creative work? Like, where did that originate? So the start of kind of doing freelancing and creative work actually came out of, you know, wanting to be my own boss to a certain extent. Um, I think a lot of freelancers, you know, want to work for themselves and they see like this digital nomad life and, you know, they're like, oh, I, I want to freelance for that reason. And then and then realize that it's actually a lot harder <laughs> than it looks. And again, why Webflow started. But yeah, if we were to rewind a lot, at school, I was trying to sell sweets on the school bus. Yeah, and then I tried to start my own clothing company, which I'm pretty sure every 15, 16-year-old does. Prime Originals. I don't think that's fair. I think, actually, every, I think a lot of teenagers have the idea, but very few have the impetus to actually make the clothes and sell them. Yeah, I mean, I was playing around with, you know, Microsoft Paint and that type of stuff um, at school and trying to, you know, screen print these um, T-shirts in the art department and then... Yeah, eventually I kind of came to trying to actually print them properly with a company uh, and it all kind of went wrong when uh, this this guy at my school basically went to a festival wearing my t-shirt and was absolutely off his face and there was this picture that kind of went viral in our school circle of him wearing my t-shirt just absolutely covered in mud and was a bit worse for wear, to be fair to the bloke, but he was just, he looked an absolute mess. And I think after that, Prime Originals, the, the t-shirt brand was seen was, uh, yeah, was a little bit torn apart. And I kind of stopped it swiftly after that. But yeah, and it was kind of like first attempt. I made it, that was where I first made a website. And, um, and then I tried to create this brand called House Jam when I was at university, rented out speakers and lights to university students which was a terrible idea because university students are skint. And, you know, I had this Tesco trolley, uh, which is a supermarket trolley for anyone that doesn't live in the UK. And I was wheeling this trolley with speakers and lights around to, to student houses because I didn't have a car at the time. And yeah, there was just loads of like entrepreneurial attempts, but I was never very good at making things work, I guess. And I guess as a result of trying to make things work, that's when I kind of became more aware of the importance of design the importance of you know having a website that was found on the first page of google and that type of thing and then you know friends and family were like you know how to try and make a website i was obviously using wix and squarespace and stuff like that at the time and then yeah that's kind of when i was like oh i really want to do this thing and when you found webflow was it an instant you know, match made in heaven, as in, was it like, wow, this is the tool I've been looking for? Yeah, I mean, what happened was, I was trying to do logos, and was doing more like brand identities. And that's kind of how I started freelancing, actually. So I was trying to create brand guidelines for companies and stuff like that. Clients were like, Oh, you know, you've made all this branding and stuff. Now we need a website. Do you do websites? And I was like, no, I don't. And because, you know, I didn't have confidence with that at all. I tried Wix and Squarespace and things like I said, but I didn't really feel like I didn't really feel confident that I could like produce a website to the caliber that they wanted to. And so then someone told me about, about Webflow. And I tried out Webflow and I was like, enjoyed using it, but I wasn't, I didn't commit myself to it because I was doing, you know, brand identity work. And, and actually a lot later, probably two years ago, um 
I actually like was like, okay, this is what I really need to do and, and stop doing as much brand identity work and really focus on doing websites for people. Let's uh, move on to your failures then. So tell me about failure number one, niching badly. Oh my God. This is going to make me, this is so cringe. (laughs) (laughs) But to backtrack a little bit, like it was mentioned in the intro, I was in Portugal. I was trying to freelance and basically do brand identities for people. And it was just such a mess. Like I was going into bakeries and being like, Hola, and saying, you know, hey, your brand identity is not great. And I see that, uh, you know, you might need help with flyers and stuff. I can help you. I was kind of winging it. I didn't really know freelancing. I didn't know how to get clients. I was kind of face to face combat, just going into (laughs) shops and like trying to pitch them. And, you know, that didn't go well. And so I basically paid a lot of money to go on this course from a designer that I really liked and, you know, aspired to do similar caliber of work to. It was this kind of six week intensive course. And the first week was all about niching and the importance of niching. And we were, you know, advised to niche, find a niche and then kind of commit to that for the course. And part of that was working out what you enjoyed. Were there loads and loads of people that were in that niche? Could you compete in that niche? So I basically niched to yoga instructors obviously um i was doing a lot of yoga at the time i was like this is the niche for me i can't see anyone else in this niche uh, which you'll soon find out why you know naturally that was that was a stupid idea because yes i was doing a lot of yoga and enjoying it and i really liked working with yoga instructors because i'd worked with a couple by that point and i was like this is this is going to be great and uh, and it wasn't great Yoga instructors don't necessarily have a lot of money to pay for this type of thing. I enjoyed doing yoga, but like I didn't really have any leverage in that niche, as it were. Like I, 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 you know, I enjoyed doing yoga, but that doesn't mean I know tons about the yoga industry or like, you know, anything really beyond I enjoy doing yoga. And needless to say that this niching experience, I was kind of like, is should I niche like is this actually what I should do a friend Ethan he was like man you don't need to you know niche by industry you can actually niche by tool you could niche by virtue of being a a webflow website creator so that's when I completely pivoted and I was like okay what I'm going to do is to knuckle down learn webflow as best I can from the courses that are online and you know that's what I'm going to really pursue but I think that was one really massive lesson like you don't need to um you know niche by industry you can actually niche by the tool that you're using or the you know the actual solution that you provide for someone and the other thing is that it takes time to know yourself in my opinion like i was kind of experimenting with a lot of stuff as you can probably gather at this stage of my life i was in portugal i was trying brand identities and you know trying to i guess understand what what I was doing and and to kind of be instructed to to niche straight away without really understanding kind of like who you are what you're about and having a number of projects under your belt from different industries so that you can really make that decision with a balanced and kind of objective frame of mind I think it's really important to try stuff out before um, putting yourself into quite a 
a narrow niche. Admittedly, the yoga instructor niche was possibly the worst niche I could have chosen. And I'm not trying to bash anyone that is trying to, you know, niche in a particular way. But I just warn people that if they are starting, you know, right out the bat and they're fresh in Webflow, that, um, yeah, just it, it, I, there's so much talk like niche, 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 niche online. And admittedly, I get why that that is the case. But just be aware that you can take a little bit of time to niche and niching is broader than just the industry. Okay, so freelancers, unless they really know the industry that they want to niche in and they know that it has, it's viable to do good business there, then refrain from going too narrow too early. What is the point at which you think that niching could be recommended by industry then what at what point can a freelancer say to themselves i'm at the stage of which i should now consider going narrow i'm hesitant to, to give like a definitive answer like this is what you should do this is what you shouldn't do because it very much depends on the individual there's people who can maybe take more kind of chances to to try niching and and have the freedom to to change what niche they do if they do choose a niche that they realize actually isn't for them for example I mean I was in my very early 20s when I did all this stuff and I had no kids I didn't have a lot of overheads and I could kind of make mistakes I guess to a certain extent so I think that's really important to say that like I don't think there's like the time to niche or the time to not niche what I would say, though, is that once you've done, you know, 10, 20 projects, you have quite a good idea about the projects you've enjoyed and the projects you do not enjoy and never want to do again. And, you know, with that understanding, it is far easier to then decide, OK, actually, I really want to go after these type of clients. These are the type of people that I want to work with because you've got that experience under your belt. OK, and... If you're down the rabbit hole as a freelancer and you've committed, say, to yoga instructors or bakers or whatever, how do you reverse back out? If you feel like you're in that hole, how do you get out of that hole? So I think there's one something that's important to say is that, you know, this stuff takes time. Like when you say, OK, I want to be a yoga instructor, designer or whatever it is, if you were to say hypothetically niche to an industry, I think it takes time to be known as the person in that in that niche, like the go-to person. So part of me wants to say, well, actually, you know, you need to give it a fair amount of time for that to actually be a legitimate decision to actually be like, you know what, this niche actually isn't for me. Because if you're if you do it for like a week and then you're like, oh, I'm not getting any clients, this is a terrible decision, then obviously that's not a fair test. But I would also say that if you decide to be known for a certain thing, then you're probably going to want to change your, you know, your social medias to it, your your website, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, that's a huge commitment. So what I would say is before jumping into a niche, maybe just checking whether that niche, um, you know, actually has uptake from people by creating a landing page, for example, and you could drive traffic there uh, of people that, you know, are in the construction business and you're a construction, I don't know, Webflow designer. And that's how you're kind of testing whether that is actually going to be a viable 
option for you um you know from the point of view of getting clients for example but also just talk to loads and loads of people in that industry like emily giordano talked about this and she basically said that what would be a really interesting idea is to create templates for different niches you know you could create a template for a hotel chain you create a template for a gym you create a template for whoever and what you could do to make sure that that template is actually useful for that person in that industry is to go and talk to a load of them you know if you're creating a template for an architecture firm thinking oh maybe i can make this template better if i actually go and talk to people who are architects who have a terrible website and will want their website improved potentially so there are kind of low risk high reward ways of kind of not only improving your skill set but also testing to see you know whether you would actually do a good job in that niche and and you know can actually provide value to people that you actually want to work with so the main advice there is take time to get to know what you're actually interested in. On the basis of that, you can then decide whether narrowing down the clients you're aiming for is worth worth it. Then considering niching being broader than an industry niche. And then also, if you do decide that narrowing down, niching down is worth your time, then making sure that you do the pro- proper research into that using real people in the industry before you you know dive straight into that niche yeah i mean one other thing that i really that i learned as well is that um you know you don't you don't necessarily have to niche to get clients that might be in a particular industry you can actually niche by being you know a white label web flower for agencies you can just work for agencies and essentially, you know, niche by just doing a really, really good white label job for them. There's a guy called Tony Seats, who, you know, anyone in the Webflow Twitter space probably knows of him. But he has essentially said, I am going to niche by providing great work with fast turnarounds for agencies that do Webflow. That is his that is his niche. So just be aware that niching is such there's there's so many different ways that you can niche so that you stand out in in the marketplace of webflowers and that you can get the clients that you actually want to work with at a price point that, that you know you feel valued and, and they feel is good value yeah yeah you could be like the nice the the easy to work with webflower you know like that could be your niche yeah i mean maybe that would be like the base minimum to work with <laughs> you know clients well, yeah, that, that, you're the web flow that gives your clients a jar of mustard at the end yeah <laughs> <laughs> the web flow that makes you a hat like knits you something <laughs> the web flow that gives you a massage after <laughs> have you have you have you worked with jack because bloody hell his his back massages <laughs> i think we lost the plot on this one <laughs> Tell me about failure number two then, uh, not having a contract in place with a client. Uh, I I had a, a nightmare of a scenario where I basically worked for this kind of sketchy agency when I first started working for an agency. They were based in the States and they were like, yeah, we'll pay you this and it'll be great and you'll have freedom and there's loads of awards courses that we've paid for that you can do and stuff. It all sounded, it all sounded great. And I said, great, can, you know, can I have a contract? And they were like, yeah, we'll get you that contract. And 
they didn't get me a contract, but they said that we're going to start, you know, working on this job because we have it to do ASAP and, uh, and we'll get you the contract. So little old me, I was like, yeah, cool. I trust that they'll get me the contract. And, um, and they, and they never got me the contract. You might've guessed that. So, you know, I repeatedly asked for the contract, didn't get the contract. And it got to the point where I was owed eight grand. So this isn't, you know, it's not pocket change. It's not pocket change. This is a lot of money. And especially, I mean, this was two years ago. I was like, man, I need this money. This is not like I'm in debt. Like I remember I'd borrowed money from my brother from dad, from my girlfriend, like I was, I was in trouble. I basically had to go to this like law firm. And then I, you know, sent a message to this agency owner and said, Hey, I've just approached this law firm. They'll be contacting you in the next few days. And, um, and luckily I got, I got paid after, after that finally. But I think there's a few takeaways from that one. Don't start doing the work until contract is signed and you get a deposit, uh, up front. I mean, obviously if you're doing agency work, you you need to just get the contract up front but there's a lot of quite young webflow agencies out there who aren't necessarily they don't necessarily have the strongest systems and processes in place you just need to be a bit careful out there if you're starting out in um, in freelancing and this is not to say that you know there's there's great webflow agencies that you can work for remotely it's not to say that this is everyone at all but it's just really important to cover your back a little bit as a as a freelancer and uh, get something signed and have some confidence that you're going to get paid. The experience you had where you were working for a kind of a sketchy agency, could you feel that there was something amiss from when you started? Yeah, yeah. And how? What was that? Like, what what was that feeling? And well, I mean. I was really keen to to work for them and and I think I started working for them quite naively without you know getting a contract in place obviously so I think you have like a gut feeling where you're like I probably shouldn't be doing this work without something more le- like legitimate in place but I'd spoken to other people that had freelanced for them and they said yeah we don't have a contract either but we get paid on time ta- like we get paid when we say we're going to get paid so you don't have anything to worry about but payments started getting delayed and that was the first sign that something was amiss and that we do actually need to protect ourselves you know in the eventuality that we don't get that money or it's just like we stop getting replied to and actually eventually me and some other freelancers that were working for this agency we just stopped getting responded to when we asked about the contract after sending multiple emails and stuff and it it got to a point where we just that said, look, we're not working until you until you pay us, obviously. But, you know, it was an awkward scenario because obviously we had we were owed a lot of money. It wasn't just me, it was actually two other freelancers. And we kind of went on strike, but we still were skinned. So, you know, it's kind of a weird deadlock. A huge lesson about trust being naive. And I just hope no one listening has had a similar scenario or will have a similar scenario. Tell me about failure number three, trying too hard to sell. Yeah, this is a big one. I don't know if you've ever been to a nightclub, Bill, have you? Um, once or twice. <laughs> Bill throws an enormous robot 
all seven foot of him yeah. limbing around. Yeah, I'm petite. <laughs> I'm, I'm petite. petite. <laughs> <laughs> well, where am I going with this? My point is that if you're in a nightclub and someone really wants to dance with you, might want to get it on and a bit eager and a bit over the top, then you kind of, you're just really like, Ugh, get off me. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that gives me the ick. The point I'm trying to make is that if you try too hard to impress someone, then it often um, kind of backfires. And that person is really put off by um, working with you, getting with you, whatever the situation is. And I think that's what I was doing with with clients when I first did client calls. I was trying so hard to impress and trying to sell actively that I wasn't actually thinking about them as much as I was trying to show what I could do. There's this really good Christo video, which I can link in the show notes. But essentially, um, he talks about that you're not trying to sell to a client, you're trying to help the client. And by helping them, they're way more likely to choose you to work with. So what am I trying to say in terms of what I've learned from successfully getting clients is by asking loads of questions and taking real interest and enthusiasm in what they're doing and what they're trying to achieve. Um, And just by doing that, without necessarily even talking about the website, you might just be saying like, what are your goals? What's your vision for this company? You know, where are you trying to get to? What what current problems are you are you having that you're looking to get solved? Not necessarily saying I'm the perfect person to help you with this problem, but actually just saying like, you know, how how can I help you if I can help you? Coming at it from from that perspective, I have found has been really really helpful to do client calls with. I used to put, you know, this big presentation together before the client call. And, uh, you know, really try and kind of wow them. And actually, it just had the opposite effect. Mm. If you don't have the diagnosis, then you can't prescribe medicine. Yeah, and that's a that's a really good way to look at it. But I think sometimes on, on client calls, and I'm not sure if anyone's listening can relate to this, but you you feel like this is your shot and you need to make this work or you're not going to get the client. And that you need to impress them. And this is your one shot, right? And I'm going to continue to talk about Chris Doe till the cows come home. But Chris talks about the fact that when you're on a client call, that's not your client. That's someone who has a problem that they're looking to solve. And, you know, you haven't lost the client by by not getting the job. Maybe you've said, you know what? I actually don't think I'm the best person for this job. I recommend, you know, John or whoever else. Mm -hmm. Um, that you think might actually be better suited to solve solve the problem. You know, if there's, I don't know, a, an e-commerce website that this client's looking to migrate and you don't feel confident doing that, then, you know, maybe recommending someone else would actually be better to help that client, you know, overcome this problem. And I've actually had this exact scenario where I recommended someone else and I said, look, I'm not sure I'm actually the best person to help you with this problem. I recommend this person. I know them and I trust them. And a year later, this client came back to me and said, hey, Jack, I've got this project. Would you be interested in working together? Because they trusted me. Because I said I was not the guy for this job, but I, but I would be able to help on this, you know, this type of thing. But, you know, that's not the problem they were looking to solve. 
So if you're trying to actively help, you know, anyone in any conversation, in fact, but especially so with clients, when it's a big investment for a lot of people to do their website, not just financially, but also just time and effort wise. So if they feel like someone actually has their best intentions at heart, they're far more likely to want to, you know, work with that person. Before I ask you the final question in today's episode, where can people find you on the internet? At Webflail on Twitter. Or you can follow my personal account, which is at JackRedley1 on Twitter as well. If you want to follow the podcast editor, Will Redley, it's at Will underscore Redley. And they can ask you things about freelancing and any questions which you have about the episode and any previous episodes I presume. Yeah, ask me anything. I'm I like the Webflow community has given so much to me when I started using Webflow properly a couple of years ago and freelancing. You know, feel free to message me. I'm an open book and more than happy to have a call as well if that interests people. Okay, so Jack I know you've, I mean, it's not just you've listened to these podcasts before, but you've actually hosted all of them before. So you know what question is coming next, and it's the hardest question in the episode. Oh my God. That's how you want your guests to react in the future. <laughs> Sweating profusely. Uh, a harder question. What is your next failure going to be? I think my next failure might be spread myself too thin across too many different areas, because I think... I've really, really enjoyed doing podcasts and articles and trying to like help anyone in the Webflow community that I can. Um, but there's also client work that I need to fulfill. And, um, you know, there's kind of, there's like Jack the freelancer and then I need to like switch modes and be like Jack documenting the freelancing. And what I found kind of a little bit strange is that the more documenting the freelancing I do, which I really, really love, um, you know, the less I try and get clients, the less I try and put myself kind of in that in that other mode. So um, I need to get better balance of things for 2023. Maybe this isn't going to be a failure that comes and goes. It's, it's going to be an ongoing thing <laughs> that I try and balance things. Thanks for listening to episode 23 with Jack Redley. It was a pleasure to have Jack on the show. No, uh, that was a really weird episode for me. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I think Bill really enjoyed it. It was a bit of a power switch because he's normally obviously editing the episodes and instead he was in the hot seat asking questions. So I think he enjoyed that. Talking about failure is harder than I realised. You know, it's, it's hard to admit what's gone wrong and talk from such a vulnerable place so I have a new respect for the guests that are willing to come on the Webflow podcast and talk about this stuff so vulnerably so thanks to everyone who's come on the show thanks to everyone who will come on the show I hope you guys have all had a very merry Christmas next week we're going to be having Penny O'Lorenshaw from No Code North on the pod and I'm very excited to talk to her about dealing with ADHD as a Webflow freelancer and many other bits and bobs. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. And like I say, 
have a very merry period and looking forward to chatting to you guys next week till then web playlist